0: Ritual is so strong that I find myself reaching for a recorder that isn't there to push the start button after years of pushing the button on the recorder. So this is the power of ritual. You know, I don't agree with the Catholics, but I understand the Catholics. Let's uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Thank you for this letter to the Philippians. We've enjoyed going through, picking up some of the pieces that we can get out of it. There's a lot more in it, Lord, but we got to stare at some things and, and be encouraged in some things uh, by believers that seemed to do a majority of what they were doing correctly. And it's always good to see. Thank you for them. Greet them from us. We appreciate it. In your son's name, amen. So we're in the end of Philippians. We've the unintentional series through a book got to the last chapter, and uh, having done so, we're um, going to finish it up today. Now, everyone knows Philippians 4 because it ends up on a lot of people's refrigerators. Just verses out of that. Things to remember. Very quotable portions. Um, you know I, I can assume that St. Paul did not write it to the Philippians with a with the quotableness of it um, you know how modern books they're help books, you buy them at Barnes and Noble, and you're flipping through. they're rather large print and wide margins. they're already a lot of leading between they're, they're trying to make the book thick with very little information. One of the tasks to make books thick without a lot of information is you find the most Poignant thing to say, kind of a quotable on each page, and you, you drop it in as a pull out quote, you know, and it's really big type and the, the, the text flows around it. You're, that's the person say, quote me here. I don't think Paul was going, quote me here. He's writing to friends who'd been a real joy to him. The Galatians, not so much. The Corinthians, not a lot, not a much at all. But the Philippians, Colossians, he really seemed to like. says it in the first verses here, Philippians 4.1, therefore my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He has a real good relationship with them. Now, one of the things that we have to be aware of in Christianity, I don't know if you've noticed that there have been some problems in the history of the church. Not just our church, but all the churches and all the people who claim Jesus Christ, who either defaced his good name or disgraced the gospel in some way or and became leaders of what we call Christendom. We know this happens, but back when the Jesus people thing was going on in the 70s, a lot of people looked at the what they called the New Testament church, and that was kind of a, a password for code word for doing it right we're going to do it like the new testament church you mean sin just like the new testament church because that's what you got not just the churches you know about but even in this good church this is what because i think all souls christian we're a small bunch of people we like each other we get together for food things and fourth of july and other stuff and uh, you hope that nobody is murdering their aunt Betty at home and burying her in the yard. I see those things on TV. But I don't think we're doing those things. I don't even get calls from the police. I did get one call from the police. ought to interest you. I did get one call from the police regarding someone Just we'll just say it years ago. I was at a intermission at Don Giovanni. I'm listening to the Mozart opera in Pullman. I get a call, an in intermission from the police. It all worked out. Life is fun. But generally speaking, you behave. Thank you. Generally speaking, you behave. But even when the apostle, because Paul had founded this church, Okay, for the Philippians, remember in Acts, he leaves Troas over in Asia Minor and he stops at Neapolis and then to Philippi, then on to the Thessalonica. And Philippi is the story of Lydia, the seller of purple, a woman uh, who is a pursuer of God and he preaches the gospel to her. They heal a, a demon-possessed girl who is a soothsayer. and They get Caught by the law, thrown to prison, earthquake happens. You know the story, you saw it probably on VeggieTales. Is it on VeggieTales? Anybody know? Okay. Uh, it's in the Bible too. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but where Paul and Silas are set free by an earthquake, but then they talk to the jailer and save his life from killing himself. He becomes a Christian. So this church has got Lydia. In it, it's got the Roman jailer. St. Paul stays with them a while, and they really, really respond, really respond. And Paul has a great, we talked about this in the first week into Philippians, a great, um, they help him in his budget, his financial needs as well. He's very conscious of that. They're tied in with Paul. Paul likes that. But, verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These are two women. And I ask you also, true yoke fellow, help these women. For they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the Book of Life. These were women in the work, in the ministry. I don't know if you've ever realized or ever known perhaps a couple of women who didn't get along. Have you ever, I know it's hard to imagine, but there was in the early church, New Testament church, good New Testament church, Pauline, good New Testament church, complimented by the apostle, two women, Not getting drunk on Friday night, not being unfaithful to their husbands, but the way they disagreed. He's asking them to agree in the Lord. I'm entreating you to agree in the Lord. We don't know what their disagreement was about. It could have been about the flowers in church. It could have been how short syndic skirts were. You know stuff, important stuff. But it needed to happen because all of the body of those, Clement, everybody there who'd worked side by side for the gospel needed to help these women to that place. Now, we talked about agreement a few Sundays ago. We talked about the one-mindedness. What was it in chapter... Um, chapter 2 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus it told you to have one mind the problem with Euodia and Syntyche and it's a problem with most people when they're not agreeing is they can't imagine somebody else's way having charge over what happened Either they're upset that the other person got their way or they're proud that they got their way, whatever the situation. Yes, you have a way. Yes, you can disagree with Euodia. Yes, you can disagree with Syntek, but not in the Lord. In the Lord, your humility counts others better than yourselves. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Count others better than yourself. Humility is the mind of Christ. And if we would just get it in one of these moments, not admit the other person is right. Don't just say the other person is right. Don't have to believe something you don't believe. Be wrong, be right, whatever it is, but be humble. But those are things that beset churches that do well. I mentioned this before with C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. And those of you who, most of you have read it, I'm sure. The great thing about the temptations is how normal and dull they are. They're not grand sin. They're not Lucretia Borgia. They're not um, pick a sinner. They're not Harvey Weinstein. They're just you being PO'd at your mom. The Christians need at all times and be aware at all times that it doesn't matter how apostolic. You cannot arrange a perfect church because God is not here to do something to you that makes perfection. He is here to relate to you in such a way that you reach together perfection. Instead of the power of God descending on you and turning you into the righteous puppet you need to be. He has a relationship with you in love that he is expecting you to love him back equivalently. And loving him back equivalently means obeying him, for this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. You need to realize that God, even when his son was on earth, his son's apostles were on earth, The church has still acted the same, and God was still advising them, thankfully, the kind of advice we need today, because we're doing the same things. It is possible that women might not agree with each other, and it might be ugly. But entreat them to agree in the Lord, not agree by one side winning. Or you negotiating a moderate in-between position so both can win and both can lose? That's not how you fix things. You fix things by being good and saying, no, you're wrong, but let's do it your way. Let's be humble, not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says in verse 4, now verse 4 may be... A bracketing phrase from last week's last, um I'll first, where was it, uh, beginning of chapter three, um, which was last week, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord, that is verse one of chapter three, and verse four of chapter four is rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. That may be bracketing the section in between. You can go back and look it over. But whatever the case, it's a standalone good. Now, what's wonderful about the book of um, Philippians is you could probably memorize it. You know? If you ever memorize some speeches and plays and stuff in high school, it's not a long book. You could probably be cast adrift onto a desert island with your memory of the book of Philippians and you'd be fine. You'd be fine. You'd have so much good to meditate on. Now what I want you to think about is the whole book of Philippians right now, and then there's some key things he introduces in this chapter that he wants you to think about some more. Because remember, you're being employed, just like Euodia and Syntyche are being entreated to deal with their lack of humility and agree in the Lord somehow, the rest of the people in Philippi, he is saying, okay, um, why don't you guys deal with this? Now, as you know, I like to be in uh, philosophical arguments, love it. It's like playing with Legos. You know, I don't know what's your favorite thing, you know. Uh, uh, Scott works on cars, uh, taught at a, what's the name of the school? Skagit? Oh, excuse me. Skagit. Um, some of you, uh, uh, James was an uh, uh, ammunition manufacturer. He's a gunsmith. Um, I like to get into arguments. Um, I love it when uh, somebody comes in, I don't know them at the house. I say, well, say something wrong, is what I ask them to do. Because what could be better? You don't want to have them agree with you. So I know that I'm fouling my own nest here. I'm sort of creating a path that does not produce the right kind of playmates that I want to have. Because an awful lot of what's going on in Christianity right now, if you read any of the news in Christianity, everybody's got running around with their hair on fire about different things. The role of women, LGBTQ, ML and MOP, whatever it is, and in specialty arenas, you argue about. You've been in those conversations. Well, Romans nine. What about Romans nine? Wives are going. I don't want to. Don't bring up Ephesians five. You have all sorts of things. All sorts of things that perennially become conflicts in the church. I think there are right answers. I think it's good to pursue them by better people than do. But we're actually, instead of those things, the things that are laid out for us in Philippians. Look at the first five weeks. Is that how many weeks we did going in through this? Let me count the sheets of paper. One, two, three, four. Five, we're on six, week six. Four chapters, six weeks. The first week was on our love for one another. We we, kind of learned it in the COVID. We had to stay away. We finally got to come back. It's a treat. But our mindset about our love for one another ought to be that our mindset engages with our love for one another. It's the new commandment in 1 John. St. John says to us, I write you no new command, uh, I give you no new commandment except one you had from the beginning that you love one another. We're a unique thing in history. The church didn't exist before Jesus Christ was raised. Our love is, I mean, so it's old school now, but hey, it's what we do. And if we were about it, more than we were about Romans nine, we might be better off, even though we had different views about Romans nine. We have also, in chapter uh, second part of two, I think it is second part of one, is uh, is what our Christ is. He sidesteps a lot of what we're about uh, that. If we were more about our Christ and spent our time not working out the right apologetic about our doctrine, but the right apologetic for our Lord, now there's a difference between who Christ is and what your position is about the mechanism of how things work in the heavens. Jesus Christ is the the seat of meaning. It's where we come to when we pursue meaning and where we stand if we want meaning. It should be ours as Christians, that's the meaning of Christ. Second chapter was the one we already mentioned about with Yodia and Sintik that it be about our mind and that we don't pursue the obvious thing which is if you agree, and I could give you a list of things you need to agree with because I worked them out so you could just take it home and put it on the fridge. Chant it back with you and your wife bobbing up and down on your little carpets. Because that's what I hope to have someday. A solid cult. That's not how we're getting it. Far better for us. To have Christ's mind, which did not insist on his own way. The next bit in chapter 3... end of two the degree of grace we have for one another because we know the church is flawed we know people don't do it your way that's the nature of individualism that's the nature of autonomy you are your own agent we are not a corporate agent you are a particular and you stand before God with your particular choices about how you're approaching him what you're doing and I gotta live with what you chose uh, you all know where my house is. You know that a kitty corner from my house is a purple one. And everybody has opinions about the purple one. Some people like it. Some people despise it. They all know it, our house is quite large, and, but they give people directions. It's a kitty corner from the purple house, they say. Oh, don't worry. We know that. We look out our windows, we see the purple house. Part of living in a society. Our neighbor chose purple and fluorescent yellow. That's her house, not mine. Your life is yours. You stand before the living God someday and give account for what you did. I have to learn the grace of living with you. Paul had people he differed with in the ministry. Remember that portion of the chapter he talks about, nobody's like these guys Everybody's out for their own interests. He had a way of dealing with it. Says, "I don't have to have a different opinion. I'm not Polly." No expense. Whenever I say I'm not Pollyanna, Glenda always corrects me about the nature of the book. I'm going to use it this way. I'm not a Pollyanna that I have this some naive assessment that we've all you know clasp our pudgy, sainted hands together as we run around in love. And uh, no, we understand that we have conflicts about things. How Christians have conflicts has got to be different. We have that love, we have that Christ, we have that mind. We have that grace, we have that submission to either Christ or our passions. That's where we're not trying to come up with the right answer with something. We're trying to come up with the right inertial force about something. If I have the right inertial force that the Christian mind will lead me, not my passions will lead me, I could hold a different view than you, but at least you know you can appeal to me in the Christian mind. Talk to me about the idea, because the idea will matter to what I hold. If it's my passions, there's no hope, because you can't talk to me in passion. You can only punch me in the face. That's what goes on in this world. It finally gets to the certain point where people's passions are moving them, and you can only punch people in the face. It only comes down to raw force. We're in the church. This is a good church in Philippi. That was what we covered throughout the whole book. That was what he gave us. He said, wow, I'm already, well, i got too much work. I've got too much homework now. And none of it is becoming so established in the book of Romans that I know how to argue Romans 9. I know about love, Christ, grace, mind, submission, And then he says, rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the additions. Man, if I don't get this worked out. Remember when we talked about this last week, we mentioned that we are talking about the in the Lord portion. Because Paul goes on to talk about what it is to be in Christ, and like Christ in that grace not about correcting depressives. But it does correct depressives. We wanna find it in the Lord. We're not trying to make depressives happier by throwing them a party or telling them the world is better than they think it is. You wanna say to them, you know, the world is probably as bad as you think it is. And your life, probably pretty bad. It's rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul doesn't back away. Always. Repeated. Always rejoicing. I'll say it again. Rejoice. If You can't, you can't walk further down this page, further down into this passage, go, I'm going to say, that. that's not that big a deal. He's leaning into you. So this is, if you know what you know about Jesus... If you know what's been done, if you've watched your life go through the change the grace of God has worked in you, what else would you be doing? If you don't know the grace of God, I'd be depressed too, you know? And people will differ in how much depression they are because of how kind of temperament they have and what they're focused on. But the Christian has got this, in the Lord, always. In case you don't, watch yourself on that passage because you're going to go home. You're going to meditate on it. Say, I don't like what Evan said. You know, sometimes I'm just feeling a little punky. So you have excuses. You know how you get around St. Paul. You know that everybody has ways of getting around St. Paul. First, you go, "What is up with Paul anyway? Why does he have all the?" The books in the Bible. You know, Peter and James, you know, picking up the rear. Paul taking the lion's share. You know, the early church had rejected Paul to some degree. All in Asia have deserted me, he says in Timothy. And you begin to go, yeah, I'm going to be one of those. All those hard things about, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as the Lord. Yeah, up yours. You can spend your time getting around Paul. You can go, you know, actually he's recommending a pretty nice thing. He's saying, why don't you, why don't you be happy for heaven's sake? Because it doesn't mean some specialty, specialty realm called joy that you say, well, that's quite, kind of a, a, a transcendent spiritual thing. No, it's happiness. Like you feel if I give you 20 bucks. Okay? I'm not going to do it. But if I came down from the pulpit, pulled out a 20 and handed it to you, you Lord, let me give you 20 bucks. Thank you, Evan. Or you found 20 bucks. Or you found 100 bucks. Well, your day would change. Something as simple as that. Drag a $100 bill through certain people's lives and, and they get happier. We found something in Jesus Christ that is so much more than that. In the Lord rejoice. This is happiness writs every which way. Then he goes on, because things like always, and let me repeat this, lean on you a certain way, if, if, if he just wouldn't be so insistent. And he says, "Let all men know your forbearance," verse five. Let all men know how patient. You are what you will put up with. How's it going, guys? Does everybody know you? Well, you know, he's, a, he's like the cliche for patience. I know him. What a, what a laid-back guy. Let all men know. He's assuming you do forbear. But it's got to be at a certain level where you're known for it. Get known for it. And it's kind of as a reason, the second part of the verse, the Lord is at hand. Now, I don't know what your eschatological views are. Your view about the end of the world, people will look at this and say, the apostle thought the Lord was coming back sooner than he did. I'm with Paul on this. Don't ask difficult questions. The Lord is at hand. He is at the gates. He is waiting. He is imminent for Paul. And I'm not saying Paul was wrong. Paul was right. I think that it was that situation. I think in the Wine, Wisdom, and Song, you brought up that passage in, in, um, say, C.S. Lewis, where C.S. Lewis goes, well, Jesus was wrong (laughs) on this subject because he said he was coming back in that generation. Well, I think he did. So there. But the Lord was at hand the philippians in this is probably in the 50s mid 50s ad are looking at maybe 15 years before the great calamity falls on jerusalem have no anxiety about anything add those things up by the way when you when you Whenever I don't know if you ever did an inductive Bible study, where you say what it is actually saying, rather than what you want it to say or what you think it means, have no anxiety. How much is that? My, this is my father would always say, "How much anxiety?" And we would be you know, junior high. Um, none. No anxiety. That'd be none. Okay. He said about what things about anything. As soon as you just repeat the words to yourself, no anxiety about anything. None, any. Live long and prosper, go home, enjoy your life, enjoy your day. No anxiety about anything. But in everything. On the other hand, none of that about anything So take all that anything, make it an everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because he's not, apologies to Glenda, Pollyanna. He knows you got fired, laid off, chained into your house for two months. He knows that. He knows the government just sent you. How many did they send you? Uh, $2,400 per couple? And you're going, I really like the $2,400, but that's a dumb idea. The government shouldn't be handing out that much debt. We've got all sorts of things happening. My foot hurts. We won't go into that. My back hurts. it's getting better. Uh, and your funny people are going, "Well, does your face hurt?" No, it doesn't hurt. My face is fine. But we hurt. At 65, we hurt a lot more than we used to. Sometimes your girlfriend breaks up with you. Sometimes someone you love dearly is very sick. We're facing this, praying for Tammy. Big part of our lives. Facing death. Life in Christ. Or life more with us. He didn't say except for when Tammy's sick. He didn't say, except when the plague is running through your country. He didn't say, except. He said, No anxiety. In anything. He says, but the thing is still there, right? Girlfriend still broke up with you. Friend is still dying. I'm still fired. My foot still hurts. What am I told to do? I'm told not to have anxiety about any of it. But I'm told to pray, supplicate, and thank Now the word prayer just means request, supplicate means I really mean it. When you supplicate you plead, when you request plea is the second. When you say please don't let this happen, when David grabbed the horns of the altar and prayed about the life of his son that was going to die, he was supplicating. Who, are, who What is the classical tragedy in the supplicants? Was that Sophocles? Aeschylus. Aeschylus? Okay. Supplication was a known phenomenon that you do when you care enough to give it to the gods. You make a request in prayer, you plea in supplication, and with our God you thank him because this is his world. What he, you know, even the Christ said when he was in the garden, not my will but thine be done, because it would be. And he would step into it the way a man who obeys his God would. Let your requests, remember those are what you're carrying, you don't get to be anxious about them because they are something and you're not allowed to be anxious about anything. You'll get to take them to God at the degree of concern you have, and the reverence you have for God, not the accusations you have for God, because when you accuse God of not answering your prayers, you're not thankful. Those will be made known to God. Now, at this point, it doesn't tell you, and then he will give you what you want, as much as you want, and then you'll be happy. Well, if that were the case, then of course you would understand why you weren't going to be anxious about anything, because the anything you were tempted to be anxious about got fixed. We had the magic juju, we shot it at the problem. it got fixed. Aunt Betty is better. The rebellious child is back with the Lord. No, it's if I do this, and the peace of God, verse seven which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." The order of God, the governance of God, is not your governance. You don't get to tell God what you're going to do with his, you know, what he should do with your prayers. You're asking him for something. You're not deciding for him, you're asking. He's deciding. If you let him govern, prayer is the submission to the government of God. Jesus Christ, I would wish this cup would pass from me, but not my will but thine be done. I submit to the government of God. That's why the peace of God is there for you. And Drew and I were talking about this this week sometime. One of the days about peace and order, government. You know my shtick, and you might not agree with this, but all peace comes from order. All order comes from governance. Here's the peace of God, because you bowed the knee and said, instead of me wrestling with everything and trying to fix it or worry about it, if I can't fix it, I'll worry about it. I said, no, I don't get to worry about any of it, any of it. If it's there as a problem, I get to take it to my governor and say, Lord, please, at the level of my concern, at a prayer or supplicate, but always think that he has command of his universe. And that's why it's hard to understand this piece. You get up off your knees knowing that Aunt Betty, she doesn't recover from the leukemia and dies, and it's all right This is the way our God is governing. I have given my request to Him, and it will keep my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So, rejoicing and absolute tranquility about the problems of this world. It doesn't remove them, it just says, who's in charge of them? You've heard me say before that the big question in humankind is who's in charge here? And when you pray, you decide who's in charge. And why are there problems out there in the world today? Because people are wrong about what they said when they answered the question, who's in charge? Then it says in verse 8, and I'm going to be fast, say to yourself, have I mean, you been talking quite a while and you're only at verse 8? Not even halfway down. Well, we'll just pick up speed. It's like that when you fall off a cliff. If you reach terminal velocity at some point. You know, You, you pick up speed. The second half is kind of one big topic, so I won't. Finally, brethren, so he tells you, rejoice, don't have any anxiety, and then finally says, finally, brethren, whatever, let me me sum up what I kind of want to have you you be thinking like. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That was pretty easy. That was pretty hard, actually. You know, badness, which is better drama, and there are, and I don't mean to speak ill of people, some people like drama. makes them feel alive. The Lord would like to have you live in a comedy, a good ending, true things, honorable things, just things, pure things, lovely things, gracious things, any excellence. Now he's not—he's not saying pious truths, pious, honorable things. You know, God's justice, lovely things, gracious things, excellent and worthy of praise. It means you—you know—somebody draws the picture and puts it on the fridge, and the kids. How old are you? Six. Do you ever draw a picture? Yeah, and you put it on the fridge. You get to put it on the fridge with a magnet. We have parents award you. They they do that. We have done that ourselves. Sometimes it didn't deserve it with our kids. They weren't that good. But sometimes you go, oh my gosh, this is actually pretty good. This is way above your skill set. Or they read something. we was talking to um, what's his name, Ian. Four years old, she was, he was sounding out words with her. How do you do that? Well, this is excellent. You want to applaud. Somebody gets their hair done and it looks good? Say something. Not because people are vain. No, because it is worthy of praise. Because it's an excellent hairdo. All sorts of things exist in your life. And you know, the created good that comes on is sort of limitless. At a certain point the chaos of evil has a limit to its destruction, that's annihilation. Bad, the bad things can only break things so far and then it's nothing. Good things are sort of limitless and you've got that, every avenue of that, so why don't you think about these things, why don't you be that kind of person, are you that kind of person already? You know, some of you are kind of up-tempo, we'll just call you, upbeat people, sanguine, just like Irish setters, which are not right in the head. So if you're, if you're that way, it's probably because of the inbreeding, you know, it's, it's bad things. But there are other people who would not look at this list at all in any way and say, yes, I'm going to submit to it. This is what the Lord and his apostle want of you. Think about these things. Doesn't tell you what in particular, just gives you categories. And you don't like the category of things worthy of praise. Excellent, gracious things, true things, just things. Then he says, "Now, so this is at the end of the, the whole summation of the book. The love of the believers, the humility of the mind, the person of Christ, the grace we have for one another in flaw, all sorts of things like that. And he's wrapping it up. So rejoice, but don't be anxious about anything. Have a mind that's kind of positive. It's about positive things most of the time. And what you have learned, verse 9, and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the son of peace will be with you. Look what he's offering you. Rejoicing, freedom from anxiety, peace that you can't understand, and the path to the peace about who you sit under, what kind of teaching you take in, what books you read, where you are in your biblical reading. Learned, received, heard, and seen in St. Paul. That's what the Philippians were able to do. You heard from me and you saw me do it. There's a lot of people you'll hear the right thing. You'll suspect it's the right thing, but you don't see it in them. It says examine the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Look for people in your future, the churches you pick, the places you go, the people you read. Look into them a little bit. Find out whether what they say worked. Because if you are governed by God, the God of peace, God's peace will be with you. Now, in verse 10, and I'd say this is where he wraps it up. Yeah. He starts to talk. Those were the sort of the closing actual admonitions for the book. So rejoice, no anxiety, having a positive, very positive outlook, and Look up to the right people. Then he's got a comment at the end because they've sent him a financial gift. This is the awkward point because we don't have a pass the plate thing in this church and uh, we're not on that subject. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You know how people talk when they are trying to talk about money but they kind of got to use euphemisms like when biological things are having to be talked of in front of the children. And when you talk about money in front of the church, you've got to say, oh, you revived your concern. You are a, a, a prayer partner. And always on that little checkoff list, I, I, I vow to give my prayers $10, $20, $50 a month. My prayers. I covet your prayers and your concern, if you know what I mean. Well, Paul knows it, too. It's, it's, a kind of, it's awkward, you know, talk money between polite people. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So you, you guys haven't been giving. Now you've given. You revived it. You just didn't have any way or opportunity. Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, this is important because you're watching someone with a good church who has supported them through the years, who wasn't supporting him for a bit of time and now is supporting him again. You're looking at good people doing a good thing for a good reason, and he's having a good response. He said, this wasn't a problem, folks. I know how to be abased. This is not a problem to be poor. I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. Now look at this. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Now, I want you to stop and take a look. Can you do that? Some of you have a problem with poverty, either being poor or fearing being poor. Some of you have too much guilt about being wealthy. Don't be that kind of person, because in both cases, the world wants you to envy and be depressed about wanting. The world wants you to be guilty about having more food on your plate than you could eat. You've been to Thanksgiving, right? We do that here. We're We're in a land of abundance you can have more french fries. You can have more french fries than you know what to do with. You just leave them on your plate. And some people, that is a crisis for them. Not because Jesus tells them it's a crisis, but because the world tells, or your mom tells you, you know, there's starving people in Botswana. And you always got some smart aleck remark, well, how much does it cost to ship it? We'll get it to them. How is me eating more solving their problem. We feel bad. The one percenters, they got too much money. They have too much. You don't need that many billions of dollars. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't need two cars. You don't need three cars. You don't need more than beans and rice abundance. I can solve this with Jesus Christ. And it's not by getting rid of abundance. And I can solve being poor, being abased. It's the world that won't let you have either of those things without sin. You're either guilty illegitimately or arrogant for having so much. Not just enjoying it. Remember, you go, worthy of praise, things that are excellent. That was an excellent buffet. We have those in this church. Where you go back into the line after people have been through twice and there's still food? We understand this. Abundance. It's a... You ever think that it's called having too much? No, it's called abundance. Abundance is having more than you need. Thank God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul's answer is. I can... You can give to me, and I can have abundance, or I can not have your gift and not have it. Doesn't matter because the end, the bad attitudes that come from without, and the bad attitudes that come from with, are not present in Christ. He has given you the strength and the grace to get through the poverty, because He is greater than your poverty, and He is the source of your good. Yes. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when, you left, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. You see that word again? There's concern, partnership. With me in giving and receiving except you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me help once and again. Next town down. By the time he made it to the next town. Two gifts to Paul followed him from Philippi. He had that kind of effect in their lives. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit which increases to your credit. We like to see believers doing the good things. The right sort of people giving the right sort of way to the right sort of ministries. Not to some Nigerian prince who's suckering you for whatever. Not some health and wealth situation that's trying to gets you to give money by promising you a lot of money from God. The right people, the right way, for the right reasons, it increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm filled. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> when I'm thinking about the good things that God is doing for us rather than thinking about the theology arguments I get into with others I have a lot, of, a lot of good gain that I could make a lot of peace I can live in with the rest of the saints a lot of good relationships to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen greet every saint in Christ Jesus the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is the temp- thing we think that this was not a, a, some other jailed situation, but the Roman one. Caesar's household. Um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. <clears throat> Christians in Caesar's household, that's kind of a nice thought. One small thing before we're done, we're done with this. You say, okay, one small thing don't really realize what's going on, but, but Luke is a real key element in Philippi. You can tell in Acts that when Paul picks up Luke in Troas, the, uh, the pronouns change when they hit Philippi. And Luke says, goes from they, 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 he picks up Luke in Troas, and then the writing becomes we, we, we but he doesn't leave Philippi with Paul. It goes back to they as soon as Paul leaves and not until years later, seven, eight years later, when he's back in Philippi, Luke joins up with Paul again and it turns into we. And he leaves Philippi with Paul. So Luke may have been in Philippi for those seven or eight years after this, the visit. And so Luke is a very strong Um, voice in Pauline. you got the Gospel of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles. He traveled with St. Paul. Um, It's sort of an interesting connection that we don't often think about because it just ends up in a pronoun and whether or not it exists. But be thinking about those things, be thinking about the good things we have to deal with in our faith, and let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. continue to be good to us, to our families, to our friends, we ask that you would turn our hearts to rejoicing, to peace, to all the good things, to your son. And thank you for all the goodness we have, that we have a path through the times of difficulty and we have a path through the times of greatness. Bless us, and all your church, in your son's name, amen.